This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day, and I hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. Good show coming up here in just a little while. Lavelle E. Neal III, Star Tribune columnist, will join me to talk twins. Um, had some stuff I wanted to run by him pertaining to the twins, a bunch of stuff that I've been thinking about lately, and uh, plenty of stuff on his mind as well. So listen up for that here in just a little while. Um, Got to get to some contract stuff at the end of the show, some massive deals in both the NFL and the NBA caught my eye. First, though, what did I miss? It was... um, Reporting day for the veterans on the Vikings out at training camp on Tuesday. And first day on the field today, I expect to be out there. Um, Hopefully we're going to record an Access Vikings podcast later today as well. So listen for that. But struck me listening to Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, Vikings general manager, on Tuesday, just how unsettled things are right now for this team. So I'm going to I'm going to play some audio from a bunch of things Quasi Adolfo Mensa said in his kind of training camp kickoff news conference on Tuesday and just you know it it, it felt like the, it's felt like this for a while I guess and it it's not entirely surprising but when he got up on the podium and started talking and started getting peppered with this array of questions you know coming off a 13 and 4 season most teams have a fair amount, I think, figured out. And this team does to a certain degree. It knows what its strengths are, I think, at this point, offense. It knows what it's trying to do on defense. But there are a lot of issues lingering still for this team that do not have answers. And I think that showed up in the vagueness of the way Kwesi Adolfo had to speak on Tuesday. Now, some of that's probably just that's how decision makers do things. They get up in front of the podium and they don't lie but they don't give away all the truth, right? They don't give away all the state secrets, all the team, uh, all the stuff that they consider proprietary information, things like that, for good reason, right? But a lot of the answers just had to be purposely vague. I got five of them in particular here, and I want to sort through them all. The first one um, is the biggest one. What's going to happen with Daniil Hunter? He got asked that right off the bat. Here was Quesadofo Mensa on the Vikings and where they stand with Daniil Hunter. There's a lot of things we're trying to work through with Daniel. Obviously, we haven't seen him since last season. Uh, so that, amongst many other issues that we're trying to work through with his representatives, uh, those conversations are ongoing. So I don't want to give you an answer and tell you yes or no, but those conversations are ongoing. I'm really excited to see him. Uh, it's great to see a great player like that, great great Viking. I'm really excited, so I just want to make sure I say that. That's, that's where I'm at right now. Now, Hunter, for his part, is at camp, but not – expected to be a full participant in camp until his contract situation is resolved one way or the other. And that would I would assume that means either the Vikings rip up his deal and give him more money in 2023, or they find a trade partner for Daniil Hunter. One way or the other, this has to get resolved, but it doesn't seem like it's any closer to being resolved right now. All Quesito Fomenza could say about him at this point was that he likes him as a player, essentially, and that, uh, that that's kind of where things stand right now. So that's a big one for the defense, of course. You know, Lavelle Neal, who you'll hear from in just a minute on the Twins, wrote about the Vikings for Wednesday's paper and wrote about Daniil Hunter specifically and just how much they need him, how much, you know, him holding in, him essentially playing the Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I don't get fined card. Um, that doesn't that doesn't settle things at all. It means he's here, but that does not mean we're any closer necessarily to a, rev- a, a resolution. It just means 
he doesn't want to get fined $50,000 a day for not being here. So this could get messier before it is resolved. I don't think it's going to get loud, but it could get messy, especially if he's there but not participating, and they are no closer to a resolution as camp gets further along. It doesn't seem like they are any closer right now to figuring this out. The other um, the other set of things, let's, let's run down right now. And the status of Kirk Cousins, obviously Cousins entering the final year of his contract. Um, this is the subject, obviously, of a big Netflix documentary quarterback, along with Patrick Mahomes and Marcos Mariota. Um, Chip Scoggins and I, by the way, will talk a lot about that series and Cousins on Thursday's podcast. But Cousins is interesting because you know, he's coming off a, a, a season where he finally won at a high level in the regular season, although they did not, of course, have playoff success he's going to be 35 very soon he's trying to take care of his body he's hired this full-time body work person but uh you know Quasi was asked you know are you comfortable going into this like this where do things stand with Kirk Cousins here was Quasi on that yeah we, we had great conversation with Kirk and his representatives uh, Mike and AJ uh ultimately when you sit across the table from somebody you try and understand their perspective and make sure they understand yours and that's how our conversations were it was never a type of thing where it was combative or it was yes or no it was right now we can't come to a solution that fits both of our perspectives but we always knew that we were going to keep keep coming back to the table and c- conversing about where we, we see these things and ultimately try and find a decision that works for both parties again always in that vision of trying to be one of those last teams standing and if you can't do that you shouldn't you shouldn't make decisions but we're going to keep talking with those conversations as we go forward i at least thought that that answer was interesting because it it gave me a little bit more of a lens into what they're thinking and made me think they're maybe the door is still open for a cousins extension at some point if this year goes well Uh, but again he's a quarterback who's probably in the top 10 top 12 but not top three or five of the NFL. They're going to have a lot of bills come due here at a certain point, and more on that in a minute with another answer from Quesi Dofomensa. Um, and they got to make a decision on him. Is he good enough that they want to kick this down the road two or three years and have him be kind of the guy that ends his career here, or is he going to be someone they just feel comfortable cutting loose and go the rookie route and try to patch that together? I think it's, I think it's a fascinating question that will, of course, play out over the course of this season. But right now, you know, from Quasi Ofamensa, there are not a lot of answers to that question. This is a very much a wait and see with Kirk Cousins, and it could be determined a lot by how 2023 goes. Speaking of a lot of money due in a little while, he was asked, uh, Quasi was asked about Justin Jefferson and a potential contract extension. This one's a little bit easier, I think. This is a no-brainer to get done at some point, but again, doesn't sound like anything is imminent, even as camp has opened. Here was Quasi on negotiations with Justin Jefferson on a new contract. Uh, ongoing dialogue. I, I believe uh, we'll, we'll speak with the representatives again, again soon. We just got back to training camp, right? So there's no rush in, per se in, in that regards. But look, Justin is, we, we, when we got here, there's certain types of players you want around. You know, players who love football are great at football, uh, make their teammates better, um, just have that winning spirit. I'll, I'll never forget when I first talked to him, I first met him, he just talked about winning. And that that's what all you want around. So when you identify players like that, you try and find solutions to keep them around. We will do that as, as best we can as we go forward. And again, he's right. There's not a huge rush to get this done, but that is the sort of positive PR um, that they love to be able to announce during camp at some point. So I'd imagine this gets done at some point, he's a guy you want around for a long time. He's going to be expensive, but for a good reason. He is the best wide receiver in football. 
then you have to think that is going to get done sooner than later, even if he has to be vague about it right now. Fourth thing, asked about Jordan Addison. That was the news they didn't need. Um, Jordan Addison going 140 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone last week in St. Paul, 3 a.m., he told uh, state troopers it was a dog emergency. He told the Vikings the same thing. They seem to believe him. They seem to think he has the support around him. Here is Kwesi on um, on Jordan Addison. You know, Jordan, through the draft process, impressed us with what type of person he is. And obviously he made a mistake. But what you see uh, after the fact was from his representatives to his family who reached out to me, this kid was raised right. He knows he knows that what he made was a mistake, and everybody in his life is aligned to make sure that this was a one-time occurrence. Uh, we want to make sure that we coach him up and, and, and know that this is something that uh, you know shouldn't happen and was serious, but we believe in, in Jordan and his future. Now, I think those are all good signs, assuming that they have judged his character correctly. What surprised me is that Kwesi said they are still debating about whether to, you know, whether to punish him in any way internally. I, you've got to, you got to send some kind of message, don't you? You got to do something for a guy who is going 85 miles an hour over the speed limit, even if there was like some idea in the back of his head that there was a noble gesture as part of it. So I, I, I think they got to do something to send a message, um, even if they do believe in Jordan Addison, the person, based on everything they know about him. And finally, the whole notion of the competitive rebuild, this this phrase that Kwesi first used like 18 months ago when he got the job to kind of describe how they wanted to still maintain a certain level of success even while turning over the roster. Uh, he was asked about that and kind of the process. Here was Kwesi, last thing from Kwesi on that. It, it is a competitive rebuild in terms of how I viewed it when I got here, right? So if you look back at a three-year time horizon, that's the plan we set. How do we? How do we shift from maybe where where they were to getting to where we want to go but still be good ultimately when when we made the playoffs on never forget kevin and i you know we you know that's our first time together right we make the playoffs and we look at each other like man yeah we got to make this is this is too great right we got to we got to put we we, we want to be great every year and give ourselves a chance and and so that's kind of what it was it was how do you shape shift while still winning and ultimately that's a little riskier than tearing everything down and being bad for a while and coming back up i know that right i can tell you the mathematical probability of doing it that way and certainly that's that's a way that other teams may have chosen but we didn't that's not how we were trying to do it we're trying to be good figure out a way to be competitive give yourselves many chances at it so that you can get one or more championships that's how we, what we believe in here and we'll always try and pursue that and that really gets to just the heart of the whole regime, right? This is a big year for Kwesi Dofomensa, for Kevin O'Connell. They, they came out of the gate. They had massive success and overperformance by every stretch of the imagination in wins and losses. They know, they have to know, Kwesi's a math guy. They have to know they will not go 11-0 in one-score games again this season. It's going to be The margins are going to be different, even if they like the makeup of this team, even if they think that something they're doing internally helps them excel in these situations. Um, the law of averages suggests that they will not be 11-0. They could be a little bit above 500 if they're, if they're good like that. But even if they were 7-4 and four in that many one-score one games, you're talking about four more losses. You're talking about a 9-8 and eight team and not a 13-4 and four team. So... I think, you know, this is a this is a bit of a, a referendum is probably the wrong word because this is just year two, but this is a this is a referendum to a certain degree on the roster they've built, the philosophies they've had, and the team they've built. 
So pay attention to all that. Pay attention to the philosophy and how they're going about things as the season unfolds. And that, to me, makes this training camp even more fascinating maybe than year one. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I've got Lavelle E. Neal III with me today, Star Tribune columnist, longtime Twins beat writer, and it's a really good time to have Lavelle on. It's always a good time to have Lavelle on, but I've got some specific things I want to ask him about the Twins uh, today. But first, Lavelle, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, nice warm outside. Uh, got a baseball team that's heating up, and we got a football team that's out in the heat. So yes, uh, everything's warm and somewhat fuzzy. Too hot. It's too hot, Lavelle. I don't like it. It's, it's too much. But you know, we we can. We have like in Minnesota, we have like a very specific temperature range that we find acceptable. And I think it's I think it's too hot right now. But uh, that's just me. Maybe you maybe you want it to be a little bit hotter than uh, maybe you want it to be a little bit hotter. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, You are right, though. The twins are red hot as of recording nine and two since the all star break five and one and one run games, um, two straight extra inning walk off wins again as of recording. I want to get into I got five things I want to ask you about this team and especially this kind of surge they're having. Um and the first one's just kind of open ended. What what are you are you buying this this surge? Is this kind of them taking control of the division or is this just kind of a one of those kind of one off hot streaks and this is gonna get tight again at some point? Well, I, the offense is definitely better than it was before the all star break. Um it's still not consistently robust. I mean they uh, you know, uh, Castillo yesterday for the uh, Mariners pitched a well of a game. I mean, they didn't have a hit, I believe, with, for the first four innings. So um, they're going to run up against a uh, buzzsaw like that every now and then. But there are still evidence that, you know, the offense is coming around. Um, I personally think that Edouard Julien and Alex Kirilov have saved the season, um, being able to handle prominent spots in that batting order, yeah. have quality of bats, even getting hits off of lefties, showing power. Um, Correa, instead of moving Correa down, which I advocated for, um, they moved him to Rocco, put him in the layoff spot, and he's actually done well there. And uh, Orhe Polanco is coming back online sometime sooner than later, uh, so I'll be another credible uh, hitter there. So, um, I like where things are headed offensively, and, and even when you know, even when uh. Uh, you get an occasional contributions from like Ryan Jeffers, you know, uh, yeah. Christian Vasquez has actually put the bat in the ball a couple of times. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not making Joey Gallo's massive strikeouts look as, as glaring. Um, you know, it'll be cool. To, it'll be interesting to see if Polanco go hold, hold down third base when he comes back. But, you know, the pitching, um, it's weird. You know, the star rotation, I think is, shown some signs of regression since the all-star break uh sonny gray's had to scuffle through a couple of weird outings and lopez pitched well once and i think he was she had another one's blow up innings the other time um you know, joe ryan he is you know i'm trying not to i'm trying to resist the temptation of 
calling Brad Racky to ask him, how do you uh, handle giving up first thing home runs? Because it's funny. Royce, Ryan... said that the other day, too. It's the it's the very it's a very astute Radke uh, comparison. Yeah. Home run Ryan. You know, we, he doesn't want that moniker unless he's a position player. But the bullpen's been nails. Um, you know, you saw Jorge Lopez come in yesterday. Emilio Pagan is back from the dead. Uh, Giovanni Moran is, you know, uh, held his own uh, without Caleb Thilbar around. Jax, you know, the ninth inning notwithstanding on Monday night when he gave up uh, the two-run homer to Colton Wong yes. uh, has been very effective. The bullpen's actually been nails, uh, even with some guys injured. So it's amazing how you go through a 162-game season and you, you see some areas of the team struggle. But, you know, once again, they got a favorable schedule. Um, you take the wins any way you can get them. Yeah. And they're on the road now. <laughs> yeah. You you. Know, you you touched on my two and three points. I want to make one point first before I circle back on those. The, the one thing that not worries me about this stretch, because I think they are playing better in winning one-run games is something that kind of evens out over the course of the year, and they were bad in one-run games before the break, and now they're good right now. I think that makes sense. The one thing they've really got going lately, though, is their batting average on balls and play level has been like off the charts. Once those... Even out a little bit. I, w- I wonder if the offensive surge is a little bit of a mirage because they're still striking out a lot. They're still striking out more than they did before the breaks. So I-, I worry a little bit that the offense will come down a little bit. And if it does, will some of these one run wins turn into one and two run losses? But can't take anything away from them. they were a-, a game or half a game out before the break entered uh, Tuesday, four games up. And that uh, that's quite a turnaround in a short amount of time. Um I had Kirilov number two on my list to ask you about, and you touched on him already. And is he, are we seeing the beginning of a, a hitting star in the making? Cause he just, he seems like he's got all the potential to be that. And he's kind of seems like he's, like you said, kind of carrying this team right now. And that's what a, a star hitter does. Yeah. I've, I've been a believer in Kirilov since uh, I first saw him in spring training a few years ago. Um, great hand-eye coordination, good bat to ball skills. Um, I, Still waiting for him to develop some power, but he's definitely driving the ball and uh, he's definitely getting the doubles and maybe, you know, with some more experience, so d- doubles will become home runs. Encouraged by his ability to hang in there against lefties. There's yeah. a lot to about what Kirilov is doing right now. Um, and you're hoping he could continue to take off from this because, uh, you know, he could be a he could be a key player in that offense for for years to come. Yeah, I think Kirilov has been a real boon and someone, you know, someone at the start of the year where you're like, this is someone who if he can stay healthy can kind of make or break the the lineup because at least when you thought you knew what you were going to get out of someone like Correa and Buxton you haven't gotten that but if he can supplement some of that and then the the number three guy on on this list right now Edward Julian he has a higher OPS Lavelle than Luis Arias does he does his presence and his emergence make that trade more forgivable or more 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 understandable to a certain degree because he is a guy that is kind of like a rise, really good hitter. So from what we've seen so far, not great in the field, not a lot of a, not a lot of positions where you want to put him, but he can play some second base. You can put him out there in a few different spots. Would there have been too much of a redundancy with both a rise and Julian, um, both good hitters, no glove kind of infield types? Yeah, when I uh, when I interviewed Luis in Chicago earlier this year, it was in June actually, yeah, about a month ago, and uh, a little bit over a month ago. And he actually brought it up. He was like, there really wasn't a place for me to play. They had Polanco at second. They wanted Kirloff to play first. Yeah. So where, you know, where was I going to be at? You know, and I tried to point that out on Twitter. And of course, the 
the twins Twitter was like, oh, you're not going to find a place for a phone. You hit it. Right, 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 right. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, teams go into seasons with d- different plans. And they knew if they traded a rise that they could probably get back a good pitcher for him, which they did in Pablo Lopez. And two, um, they knew from two, three years of having him that one, he does hit for power. Uh, even though he won a bet in title last year, his OPS was like barely 800, I think. Yeah. Um, and they're worried about that knee going out on him. He's had sure. knee problems in the minors. So it was a calculated uh, trade, and it looked bad at the beginning because Arias was just hitting everything in sight. Uh, I think he's down to, what, 378 now, 379? Yeah, yeah something like you that. Know, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at 360. Fantastic year. Yeah, of course. You know, props to him. You know, it's great. But, yeah, Julian has a higher uh, on-base plus slug- slugging percentage, and uh, he could definitely drive the ball, hit home runs, use all, the whole field. Um, this is the reason why they felt comfortable trading Spencer Steer. Oh, yeah, because they had options. Um, they had Polanco already at second, and they knew Julian was coming. You know, And as it turns out, Polanco's going to move to third here, which I'm a little nervous about. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, you watch Julian hit. And the thing about Julian is this. He knows what a strike is. You know, he has to sit there and twist himself into a presto falling behind 0-2 and then having to chase everything. Um, he's swinging at strikes aggressively. He puts a swing on the ball. And and uh, when he takes a ball, it's because it was a ball. You know? <laughs> right. And, uh, and I, I think uh, some tw- he's got a better strike. He's got better strike zone judgment than a lot of guys on that team who've had like 2,000 career bats, you know, have. So, um, I think him, when him and Kirillov get to the plate, I think they're getting a hit. That's what I, that's what I, that's the highest compliment I can give to a hitter is that when I think he steps in the dish, steps to the dish, he is going to get a hit. Yeah. Well, and he's done that a lot this year and his minor league track record suggests that he will keep doing that. So that's just something to monitor going on as is this Lavelle. We got the trade deadline in about a week. What, what do you think of this? I, as as good as you're right, as good as the bullpen has been very, very lately, and again, there's been some some hiccups in there, like the, the Jacks home run you referenced. I still think that their their bigger need at the deadline might be bullpen over a bat, just because I feel like the the bats, like like Falvey said a week or two ago, what they what they really need is the guys they have to start hitting. Um what what do you what do you think of that? That they need a bullpen arm more than a bat? You cannot have enough good relievers. I know they're starting to get healthy. Theo Ball is working his way back. Brock Stewart, who was a revelation, is working his way back. Um, actually, Balazovic's been rather serviceable just yes. being, since being called up. But I'd like to have a veteran guy there uh, who has some stuff, who can miss a few bats, and, and help be part of the bridge to Duran in the in the, uh, in the ninth inning. Um so I don't know. It should be it shouldn't be that difficult to find those types. And a lot yeah. of times you can just find some double A person to flip to get a reliever, especially if they're a, a, a upcoming free agent. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Fabian Levine swing a deal um, for a reliever. First of all, I don't think they like sitting out a trade deadline. You no. know, I just that their track record is they got to do something. Either they're going to try to get better or they're going to try to reload. And this is a, a year when you try to get better. Um, it'd be great to get out of bat, you know, because I pounded the drum a couple weeks ago when I, I said, uh, you know, in 2019, they probably regret not doing more to help the pitching staff when they yeah. had the Bomber squad. And it's kind of flipped around this year. You know, they're going to regret if they don't do all they can to see if they can boost the offense and bail out and support this great pitching staff. So um, 
I'm sure they look they'll look around and they'll consider some things. Their draft their trade capital is a little weak right now because of the previous trades. Um, as soon as you talk to a team about a deal, they're gonna be like, okay, what about Royce Lewis? What about Brooks Lee? You know, yeah. and I, I don't see the twins going there with one of those two guys. Although now I'm reading stuff about Brooks Lee possibly moving to third. That uh that diminishes my excitement over him if he's not a pure shortstop prospect, because that was a talk when they drafted him and they'll stick it short. Now I'm reading stuff about, oh, he may have to move the third. I'm like, wait a minute now. Um, we don't want another one of those type of players. <laughs> so, um, but, I mean, unless we were trading for Juan Soto, I wouldn't even think about putting Brooks Lee in the deal. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and I don't see them trading for Juan Soto anytime soon and taking on. I think he, I think Soto's making $23 million through arbitration. He has one more year arbitration. So that 23 could be a 30 next year. Don't know if the Twins are willing to take that on. You know what I'm saying? So um, I, as much as I'd like, like to see them add a bat, and it could be at any one of the three outfield positions, even with a slight resurgence of Kepler, I wouldn't. if you need, needed a right-handed hitting outfielder with an OPS over 800, I'd take him. You know, um, but you could put one in center. You definitely put one in left. My final thought here's the here's here's something I was thinking about the other day as they were starting to reassert themselves in the division. I, I as weird as this sounds, I think this is the year that they break their postseason losing streak. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to win a series. I think they're at least going to win a playoff game this year because, as opposed to the past, Lavelle, when you win your division. You are going to have home field advantage now against probably, you know, the, the one and two seats, I think, still get a buy, right? That's how they do it. The one and two get a buy, and then it's three, three against six, four against right. five in that wild card series. And if they're the three, which which they would be if they were the third division winner, they're going to play like the last of their last of the wild cards. They're going to have all the games at target field. I think it's the best of three. Like that format seems to suit them pretty well. What What do you think about that? I think it's I think it's very possible. I just you just can't lose that many games in a row, and it's it goes it spans what twenty years now, so it, it it's it, it's it's transferred through different regimes: the Gartenheiter regime, the Molitor regime, and now the Rocco regime. You know, and so it's it, when you have a streak like that, you can't just point to one thing and say, well, that's why. I mean, you can argue that running up against the Yankees all those years is never a winning proposition for the Twins, but. There were other years where they faced Oakland in the first yeah. round in 06 and got waxed. Um, they ran into Houston in 2019 with the Bomber Squad. 2020, and yeah. Totally, 2020, I'm sorry, and forgot how to hit. You know, well, it's post Bomber Squad. I forgot how to hit. Yes. So I, I, uh, I, it's baffling to me why they change personalities um, once they get to the postseason. It's happened multiple times. I still remember in was it was it yeah 2019. On the field with on the field before game two in in Yankee Stadium, they lost game one. Yes. On the field before game two with Marley Rivera, ESPN, and Marley's like, "Let's go talk to some of the Twins Latin players. I'll translate." Sure, sure. You know, so we start talking to players, get this to know, and she starts asking them in Spanish, "What has happened to your, your uh, approach at the plate?" And Sano said, "We have lost our minds." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, that's not good." <laughs> No, it's not good. So I don't know what happens uh, mentally uh, when these teams, you know, going back to the 06 team to the 2020 team, have these brain malfunctions yeah. at the plate once they get in the postseason. I don't understand it. I don't either. I think it, as weird as it sounds, as inconsistent as this team has been, I think the division is bad enough that they have no choice but to win it this year. 
And given the, the format change, they haven't participated in this uh, this real format yet. I, they kind of did in 2020 with that weird year, but I'm kind of throwing that one out the window. Like this is this is the first time they will have participated in the overhauled system where they'll have the best of three all at home. And I, th- I think they would win at least one game. They would have no choice but to win one of those first two and at least break that 18 game uh, postseason losing streak. Um, Lavelle, I'm looking. Oh, go ahead. I'm looking. I'm looking at the standings from 2020. The Twins had a. They went to the playoffs as division champion with a plus fifty four run differential. Yes. They played Houston. They had a, was twenty nine and thirty one. Yes, I know that was terrible. And a plus four run differential yes. and lost and and looked bad doing it. Yes, of course. It was just such a it was such a weird year. I don't know. I I, I give them. I I put a little asterisk by those those two just because that was such a weird year. I don't I don't begrudge anybody for success or failure that year when you're playing in front of right. no stand no fans. But yeah, it, everything else like just. Just the weirdness of all the postseason. I, it would it would it would strike me as fitting if this was the team, you know, a, a pretty mediocre team that might win the division with eighty five wins. If this was the team that uh, that did it, but given the format, given their pitching, this this could be the one. Um, well, a couple more things quick before I let you go. Um, one, you work on you. You talked to Joe Mauer recently. You're going to be writing about him at some point here. How's he doing? He he just turned forty not too long ago, right? He did. Yeah, he turned 40 in April, and uh, and he's getting inducted into the Twins Hall of Fame in a week and a half or so. And so, you know, we had a chance to uh, talk for about an hour just about uh, post-playing career and getting involved in his kids' lives more and uh, watching them grow up and, and uh, you know, just life retired, you know, and it was some good stuff. Uh, he was, you know, open about his kids. He's pretty much he's pretty much raising his kids the way his parents raised him, which was to throw them into – every sport imaginable and see what stuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's doing with the kids now. So uh, it's like his daughters like to swim and chip likes baseball too, but he likes golf too. So I, hmm. you know, so uh, uh, we'll see how, how where this goes. As uh, uh, he, uh, you know, gets ready, you know, he's, I know he was stressing out over his speech because okay. he thought he had a great speech lined up when his number was retired and now he has to write a speech when uh to, for his uh, twins hall of fame induction so he's trying to figure out different things to say <laughs> and then yeah. and of course i had to say what happens if you get inducted into the major league baseball hall of fame and maddie's like well we just have to write another speech <laughs> <You know? laughs> don't so, stress him out lavelle come on I, I know i know so that's when he probably he may hire a speech writer yeah. so uh, that's what I think. So, no, it was cool. Hopefully, it's enlightening, and there'll be some entertaining parts. Uh, to you know, I had a chance to watch him play hockey in the in the crazy game of hockey, uh, crazy day of hockey um, fundraiser that the Wild held a couple weeks ago. And you know, son of a gun, you know, he's like puck handling like he's been doing it all his life. He's skating through double teams. He's he's not going to get trapped along the boards. You know. Uh, feeding guys in front of the net fruit passes. And I was like, wow, he's, he doesn't ever do anything bad. No. You know, it's just, I, it's, it's him. I heard he was like the best ping pong player that you've ever seen, too. That he's just, that, that, that really, yeah. I've heard he was, That's he's, cool I've heard he's exceptional at ping pong. Lavelle, good stuff as always. Look for that Mauer piece in just a little while. Again, Mauer going to the uh, Twins Hall of Fame here not too long. Always appreciate Lavelle's time and his Twins insights. We'll talk to you again soon, Lavelle. Thanks for having me. Good stuff from Lavelle on the Twins. And, uh, of course, we recorded that before a complete bullpen meltdown. On Tuesday, the Twins were up by four late, gave up all of that lead quickly in the eighth inning, and then more in the ninth. They lose nine to seven 
to Seattle. Griffin Jacks was unavailable in that game. They did not want to use Joan Duran after he had pitched a bunch lately. So it was left to some of the backer back end of the bullpen, and that did not work out so well. So more fodder for the idea that they need some more bullpen help at the trade deadline, especially if Brock Stewart's not imminent to return. Still sounds like he's got some of this elbow soreness going on. Um, you know, Caleb Thielbar still trying to come back from that oblique. Like those are not guarantees that those guys that those guys are back anytime soon, and or that they are going to be as effective as they had been coming off of injury. So, more food for thought, more fodder. They need some more bullpen help, and like Lavelle said, that should be relatively easy to come by, especially if it's on expiring deals. So watch for that trade deadline about a week from now. They could use the help, especially as evidenced by what happened on Tuesday. Speaking of Tuesday, let's finish with the cooler. A lot of contracts of note that day. Twins signed their first-round pick. Walker Jenkins, 17, I'm sorry, 7.1, not 17.1, 7.1 million dollars for Walker Jenkins, the young high school player out of North Carolina. That's a pretty big signing bonus, but they got it done right before a Tuesday deadline. Jalen Brown, my goodness, of the Celtics, largest contract in NBA history. Five-year, $304 million Supermax. He's the highest-paid player in the NBA, richest contract in NBA history. Ah, No player option, it says. This is according to Sham Sharania uh, from the from the Athletic. Jalen Brown, something's broken with the NBA salary system if that's the highest paid player in the league. It might not be for long, and these slots are kind of predetermined, these supermax slots, but man, Jalen Brown is not the best player in the NBA. He's a very good player, but he is not the best player in the NBA. That that number is shocking, especially for a player of his caliber, who again is very good, but not someone, he's probably not even the best player on his own team. That is Jason Tatum. So that caught my eye. Justin Herbert uh, from the Chargers in the NFL. $262.5 million deal on a five-year extension. Um, $133 million fully guaranteed. $193 million in injury guarantees. That is a huge number. Same draft class as Justin Jefferson. Beat Jefferson for Rookie of the Year in 2020. Jefferson won't get that much because he's not a quarterback when he does sign his extension, but he will be in line for a hefty raise, and Justin Herbert already got paid. That'll do it for me today. A lot of big money flying around there. Chip Scoggins and I will talk about another big money guy on Thursday. Like I said, Kirk Cousins, the quarterback documentary, and just kind of the season ahead for a, uh, a signal caller for the Vikings, who, like I said, will turn 35 soon. And it's a bit of a crossroads here with the Vikings in 2023. That'll do it for me today. Talk to you again tomorrow.